welcome to Script Bits, a show for writers, film buffs, and everyone in between. Each episode, we take a closer look at one section of a great screenplay and find out what it can teach us about storytelling. This week, we'll be checking out the script for the complex and captivating movie, The White Tiger. I'm Bruff Hansen, and this is Script Bits. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Script Bits. I do hope you are staying safe and sane in the midst of this global pandemic. I promise to do my best to give you at least a brief respite from the world as we take a safari into the mysterious and beguiling art of screencraft. Before we begin today's show, I want to remind you that I am available at any time if you want to comment on an episode, ask a question, or just say hello. You can reach me at bruff at scriptbitspodcast.com. That's B-R-O-U-G-H at scriptbitspodcast.com. I'm a huge fan of connecting with audiences around the world, and I would love to hear from you. You know the deal. First, I'm going to give you some background about the script bit of the day, read the section out loud, and then talk about some of the lessons it has to share. Boy, do we have a story for you. Today's bit comes from the movie The White Tiger. This Oscar-nominated screenplay, which may well win, was written by Ramin Barani, based on the novel by Arvand Adaga. The White Tiger is a classic rags-to-riches tale. The story follows a young Indian man named Balram as he rises from a life of abject poverty and servitude to one of influence and wealth. Today's bit begins at the very top of page 98. Here's what you need to know. Our ambitious protagonist, Balram, has used wit and guile to become the driver for the scion of a powerful Indian family named Ashok. Ashok's family regularly bribes the government, and it's Balram's job to drive him, along with a red bag of cash, to various locations to be paid to officials. In this scene, Ashok is bringing his biggest bribe yet of 4 million rupees, a little over $50,000. Initially subservient, Balram has come to resent his so-called master and is planning to take a step that will lead him to social and economic freedom. Here we go. Interior-exterior, Mitsubishi, Ashok's Delhi apartment, night, rain. Balram pulls up. Mr. Ashok and the red bag get in the car. Balram, to the Sheridan, sir? Ashok. How did Balram know? Yeah, the Sheridan. Balram drives away. Interior, moving Mitsubishi, night, rain. Music, rain hits the car. Balram drives. He looks at the red bag next to Ashok. Ashok, Pinky called. She wants to know if I'll come back to New York. Balram, will you go back, sir? Ashok, and pretend to be someone I'm not. Shakes head no. This is my country, after all. Balram. There is a story of a cunning Brahmin trying to trick the Buddha. The Brahmin asked, Master, do you consider yourself a man or a god? The Buddha smiled and said, Neither. I am just one who has woken up while the rest of you are still sleeping. 
Balram and Ashak stare at each other in the rearview mirror. Exterior, secluded Delhi street, night, rain. Balram turns onto a secluded road. Interior, moving Mitsubishi, continuous, rain. Balram sees Ashak's face lit up by his phone. He looks out the window. Dark, empty streets. Balram stops the car. Ashak, what's wrong? Why'd we stop? Balram, something is off with the wheel, sir. Just give me a minute, sir. I'll go check. Ashok, okay. Balram picks up the broken bottle and exits the car. Exterior, secluded Delhi street, continuous, rain. Balram steps into the rain and soggy mud. He squats near the rear left tire. He confirms that the road is dark, deserted. He looks at the bushes on the side of the road, a stretch of wasteland beyond it. He places the broken bottle by the tire. He looks in the car. The blue phone light illuminates Ashok's face. Balram taps the window. Ashok looks up. Balram, there's something off with the wheels, sir. Ashok, okay, maybe we should call for help? Balram, who will come here, sir? If you can just step outside, we can fix it together. Ashok, it's raining. Let's just call for help. Balram, but sir, you'll be late for your meeting otherwise. If you can just step outside, it won't take much time. Ashok, ah, okay. Ashok puts his phone away. The car darkens. He gets out. Balram, be careful of the bottle, sir. Let me get it away. Balram points to the broken bottle and picks it up. Ashok, this tire? Balram, yes, sir. Ashok gets on his knees. Balram's point of view. Ashok's skull. He wants to strike, but he can't. The bottle feels heavy. Ashok turns and looks up at Balram. Ashok, it seems fine. Balram, no, sir. You should have found a replacement a long time ago. Balram rams the bottle down into Ashok's skull. He thrusts it down three times. Ashok falls into the mud, a hissing sound from his lips. Balram stands over him, watching Ashok crawl about in the mud. Balram steps forward. He puts his knee onto Ashok's chest and rubs his hand over Ashok's clavicle and neck. Balram cuts Ashok's throat and kills him. He stands up and stares at Ashok's dead body. He drops the broken bottle and stares up into the rain before falling to his knees. He has done it. He is free. Interior, exterior, moving Mitsubishi, secluded Delhi street, night, rain. Balram floors it. His eyes are wild as he speeds away. He shouts as loud as he can. He sees the red bag next to him and laughs, but then he is scared, realizing that he has actually done it. He has killed his master. There you have it. In one fell swoop, Balram kills his master, steals his money, and frees himself from servitude forever. It's an astonishing climax to an astonishing script. Rather than scrutinize this bit, I'm going to contextualize it by framing our entire discussion around one influential thinker. So roll up those sleeves, 
because today we're getting our hands dirty as we dig through the colorful and intriguing world of that most controversial of political philosophers, Niccolò Machiavelli. A quick primer. Machiavelli was a philosopher, playwright, courtier, and sometimes statesman who wrote during the Renaissance in what would become modern-day Italy. He's most famous for writing The Prince, a guidebook of sorts for would-be princes in which he elevates the pursuit of power as the highest ideal and to be acquired at any cost. His entire philosophy comes down to the following quotation. It is necessary for a prince wishing to hold his own to know how to do wrong and to make use of it or not according to necessity. You heard him correctly. A successful prince must be capable of doing both right and wrong, depending on the circumstances. Even if you have never touched Machiavelli, you're likely familiar with his ideas. If you've ever watched Game of Thrones or faced a backstabbing colleague, if you've ever read ancient history or, for that matter, read between the lines of a modern political headline, you already know what he's about. His masterwork was published after he died, and its ruthless, amoral, and bare-knuckled brand of real politic was so scandalous for its time that the Catholic Church immediately banned it. He has attracted vicious critiques ever since. The philosopher Bertrand Russell, for example, dismissed the prince as, quote, a handbook for gangsters. Machiavelli was a student of humanity, and as such he has lessons to teach storytellers about what certain people are willing to do for power. You will find in his work a rich and useful store of raw material about the shadiest corners of our nature. The most disturbing fact about his philosophy may be that it's actually a collection of observations. He supports his dark advice with real examples drawn from his expert knowledge of politics and power throughout the ages. Unlike other political philosophers, he's not interested in imagining a social utopia, but in giving his opinion about how people really are. The White Tiger, coincidentally or not, incorporates many different aspects of Machiavelli's thinking. Like many of our oldest tales, it shows a hero's simultaneous social rise and moral fall. Somewhere along the way, the ambitious kid named Balram blossoms into a fully formed Machiavellian operator. The Indian entrepreneur Balram tells us at one point, has to be straight and crooked, mocking and believing, sly and sincere, all at the same time. He could have lifted this straight from the pages of the prince. Machiavelli writes that princes should appear merciful, faithful, humane, religious, upright, and to be so, but with a mind so framed that should you require not to be so, you know how to change to the opposite. So how does a likable young man from the sticks turn into a murderer 
and millionaire. Machiavelli will give us some clues. Machiavelli lived and wrote in a uniquely turbulent time in Italy. And if you know anything about Italian history, that's saying something. His was not the Europe of today, a union of economically and politically stable nations, but a Frankensteinian hodgepodge of rival kingdoms, city-states, and principalities. Princes ruled precariously. At any moment, their territories could be decimated by a neighbor or overrun by a foreign invader. They faced palace intrigue, civil unrest, and near-constant war. This lived experience, along with his thorough study of ancient history, led Machiavelli to what can be generously described as a pessimistic view of mankind. He does not believe in our inherent goodness. He writes, This is to be asserted in general of men, that they are ungrateful, fickle, false, cowardly, and covetous. This cynicism underpins his entire philosophy. He tells us that the lives of princes are beset on all sides by dangerous actors. In order to maintain their kingdoms, princes must be prepared to do what is necessary to retain power. He brushes off leaders with high morals, warning that they will swiftly meet their end in an immoral world. He writes, for a man who wishes to act entirely up to his professions of virtue soon meets with what destroys him among so much that is evil. We can plainly see that Balram lives in a similarly corrupt land. The White Tiger portrays India as a society stacked entirely against the underdog, the rich rule supreme, and the poor spend their lives in servitude and destitution. The death of Balram's father drives home this truth. Balram's dad spends his entire life as a rickshaw driver, only to die of tuberculosis in an underfunded hospital. When Balram catches his big break as a driver for the wealthy, the family is not only politically corrupt, but willing to exploit and humiliate Balram as it suits them. Even Balram's family is complicit in this oppressive social order. A gifted student, Balram loses out on a chance to go to a private school in Delhi because his grandmother forces him to stay in the village and work his promising childhood away. Like early 16th century Italy, the India of the White Tiger is an unjust world. And like Machiavelli, Balram realizes that he must fight fire with fire in order to transcend the limitations imposed on his life. And after we've seen what he experiences, it's difficult to disagree. This is the first stop on our Machiavellian bus tour. Context. If you want to write a story about a sly, calculating, and ultimately evil character, it helps to counterbalance her choices by placing her in a context that will give her no other options. This setup will mitigate the audience's judgment. Even if we part ways over the character's extreme decisions, like murder, if we've witnessed the harshness of her world for ourselves, 
will be less inclined to write her off entirely. Yes, Balram's a killer. But as we'll see, Balrani makes sure that his choice to murder and rob Ashok is the only way that he can buy his freedom. Machiavelli concerns himself as much with a prince's amorality as he does his shrewdness. He observes, Those princes who have done great things have held good faith of little account, and have known how to circumvent the intellect of men by craft. Long before this climactic scene, Balram shows a facility for such craftiness. When Ashok first employs him, another driver already works for the family. This first driver, as he's known, is higher in status than Balram and enjoys an access to the family that Balram covets. But the first driver has a secret. He's a Muslim, and the stork, the nickname for the patriarch of the family, despises Muslims. Balram covertly follows the first driver to a mosque and discovers what he's hiding. Later on, Balram hears that the man will be getting a bonus to drive the family on a long trip to Delhi, so he decides to act. Balram outs the first driver as a Muslim, the stork summarily fires him, and Balram takes his place atop the servant food chain. Before he's let go, the first driver begs Balram not to go through with it, pleading, Please, sir, I have a family. Balram coldly replies, Don't we all? I'd like to point out two, dare I say, fun things about writing Machiavellian protagonists. They always have a very clear desire, power, and, unlike you and me, they are either unconstrained by their consciences or find a way to free themselves of its fetters. Machiavellian actors make wonderfully creative characters because they are limited only by their ingenuity and imagination. This first betrayal is also a useful beat to include on your character's descent into the proverbial dark side. I call it the slippery slope. You show the character committing a morally dubious act early in the story to give us a glimpse of who she really is and a preview of the monster she will become. Balram dismantles his enemy with cleverness, callousness, and timing, and this same natural skill set will come in handy when he chooses to murder Ashok. On screen, and in life, someone willing to bend our shared standards of ethics will be credibly capable of shattering them later on. Machiavelli and Barani invoke animal metaphors to make their intellectual conceptions of right and wrong more tangible. Machiavelli tells us, It is necessary for a prince to understand how to avail himself of the beast and the man. A prince ought to choose the fox and the lion, a fox to discover the snares, and a lion to terrify the wolves. This imagery underscores the traits that Machiavelli admires most, the cleverness of the fox and the ferocity of the lion. It's perhaps no coincidence that our script 
chooses another fearsome beast to symbolize Balram's destiny, the White Tiger. He gets the nickname from a school inspector who's so impressed with young Balram's intelligence that he christens him the White Tiger, saying, It's the rarest of animals that comes along only once in a generation. Another animal symbol stands in opposition to the majesty and the rarity of the White Tiger, the rooster. After Balram's father dies, he comes upon a rooster coop in the marketplace. He observes how they perfectly embody the submissive disposition of the people in his class. The roosters watch as each of them are slaughtered, knowing that they are next and yet choose not to rebel and escape their fate. Barani is arguing that such subservience is an inborn cultural value, a virtue that the lower classes blindly accept as the way things are. And we know what Machiavelli thinks of virtues. Balram begins our story as a rooster until a series of formative events transform him into a Machiavellian beast. When Ashok first hires Balram to be his driver, Balram tries to be the model servant. He idealizes his master and wants only to please him. One night, after some seriously heavy drinking with Ashok, his fiancée, Pinky Madam, insists on driving instead of Balram. She drunkenly hits and kills a poor beggar child with the car. Balram bends over backwards to protect Pinky Madam. He convinces them to leave the scene of the crime and even cleans the blood from the car bumper later that night. He lies in bed with, quote, the contented smile that comes to a servant who has done his duty by his master, even in the most difficult moments. At this point, Balram embodies the passive rooster. Ashok betrays Balram despite his loyalty. The family pressures the driver into signing a confession that says he, and he alone, was responsible for the accident, releasing Pinky Madam and Ashok from any legal jeopardy. The family's open exploitation of Balram fills him with rage, and he's disgusted with himself for accepting such treatment. This event leads to Balram's Machiavellian awakening an epiphany about the true nature of his society and what he must become to set himself free, a white tiger. Balram murders Ashok, steals the bribe, and moves to Bangalore, where he starts his own taxi company, fittingly called White Tiger Drivers. If your Machiavellian character is the antagonist, she can behave according to his principles from the outset. However, if your Machiavellian character is your hero, let her grow into that role over time and connect her biggest leaps in personality to the most important events of your film. Done correctly, a character's descent into Machiavellian cynicism and brutality will appear justified, inevitable, and understandable. Also notice how the use of robust symbols helps us really understand who someone is. The prince and the white tiger's use of 
predatory beasts gives us a visceral sense of their protagonists' natures. Nobody is afraid of roosters, but would you ever mess with a tiger? Many philosophers write exclusively in abstractions. They spend their lives in the clouds, batting around ideas and metaphysics, and never come back down to earth. Machiavelli could not be more different. He prizes one thing above all, action. He writes, I have not found among my possessions anything which I value so much as the knowledge of the actions of great men. Balram cuts Ashok's throat and kills him. Machiavelli would endorse this stunning act of violence. He writes in The Prince, In seizing a state, the usurper ought to examine closely into all those injuries which it is necessary for him to inflict and to do them all at one stroke. This is an understated way of saying, if you must commit acts of unconscionable cruelty to secure power, you should do them all at once. Balram has never killed anyone in his life, and likely never will again. But this calculated choice to murder and rob his master in one incredibly violent gesture leads to his final ascent. Balram's actions in this scene mark another category in Machiavelli's twisted checklist for effective princes, how to deal with enemies. Listen to this eye-popping quotation. Men ought either to be well-treated or crushed. They can avenge themselves of lighter injuries, of more serious ones they cannot. Therefore, the injury that is to be done to a man ought to be of such a kind that one does not stand in fear of revenge. Translation, if you only maim your enemy, they can avenge their injury, but if you kill him, he'll never have the chance. After that scene, it's safe to say that Ashok won't ever bother Balram again. These quotations both allude to an important word for Machiavelli, virtu, V-I-R-T-U, with an accent over the U. It sounds like the word virtue, but its meaning couldn't be further away. Virtu is one of those wonderful words that's difficult to translate into English. It's a cross between courage and cunning. It's kind of like manliness, but includes a certain ruthlessness as well. People who have virtue can swallow their consciences and summon all of their will and focus to do what's necessary for their ends. Morality be damned. In this moment in the rain, on a deserted Delhi street, Balram becomes a man of virtu. He sees the necessary move to buy his freedom, suppresses his hesitation and misgivings, and wills himself to commit the unarguably evil act that will be his salvation. But there's further darkness beneath this murder. Balram explains early in the film that, in his society, if a servant commits a crime against his master, the master can execute 
the servant's entire family without consequences. After Balram escapes and builds his new life, he glimpses a headline in a newspaper that reads, Family of 17 murdered in North Indian village. He lies to us and says, I'll never know what happened to my family. I could only wonder. Then he folds the paper and puts it away, banishing their deaths from his mind forever. A man of virtu, indeed. The most elegant definition for true evil that I can think of is any action which willingly sacrifices innocence. Balram kills a man who maybe had it coming, but he becomes a monster when he turns a blind eye to the mass murder of his entire family. Audiences can accept a character's worst actions and remain reluctantly on their side, but such a callous indifference to human life will be hard for us to swallow. If your character arc includes her thorough transformation into evil, make sure you backload her darkest choices, especially the sacrifice of innocence for power. If you put them at the end, you'll have it both ways. A sympathetic protagonist for the majority of the film, and her rapid and compelling moral plummet as it concludes. And don't neglect Machiavelli's advice. Craft your protagonist's final victory into a single bold maneuver. This device resonates powerfully when it comes at the climax of your film and results in a drastic change of fortune for your hero. Stories that draw on the prince for inspiration often have a counterintuitively uplifting tone. Machiavellian characters take genuine pleasure in mastering the vicissitudes of that most dangerous of pursuits, the pursuit of power. It's as if those who play by his rules not only accept the nature of the game, but experience a joy in its playing. Perhaps it's because many times these stories unfold on a level playing field. The winners are those who betray, destroy, or otherwise outfox adversaries whom, given the chance, would have done the same to them. The White Tiger ends on such a celebratory note. The final image of the film shows Balram standing before his fleet of drivers, expensive clothes on his back, and a contented smile on his face. In traditional Hindi films, he explains, when a servant kills his master, he's plagued with nightmares. Not this time. For Balram, the real nightmare is the kind where you didn't do it, that you lost your nerve, and that you're still a servant to another man. He portrays himself as the happy victor of a great escapade. I've made it, he purrs. I've broken out of the coop. The White Tiger and the Prince put their audiences in a philosophical bind. In the end, we may judge Bahram and Machiavelli harshly, but we'll harbor doubts about what we think we believe and what we say we know. These works force audiences and readers to sit with questions they'd rather not face. 
Is the world as corrupt as they claim? Do the spoils of victory really go to those who are evil as well as good? Did Balram really have any other choice? These challenging lines of thought have implications for how we interpret reality itself. W.K. Marriott, a translator of The Prince, sums up one of Machiavelli's main observations as a warning. Men will not look at things as they really are, but as they wish them to be, and are ruined. This kind of provocative thesis is often the beating heart of a truly great work of philosophy and art. May you discover one of your own and write it well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Script Bits. And thanks as always to Graham Webster for composing our music. For updates and the latest episodes, please follow us on Twitter at ScriptBits Show or find our website scriptbitspodcast.com. And as I said, you can always reach out to me personally at bruff at scriptbitspodcast.com. That's B-R-O-U-G-H at scriptbitspodcast.com. Hit me up with your thoughts on this episode or anything else. My name is Bruff Hansen, and this is ScriptBits. <laughs>